Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 179. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and back with me is my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Zynga Financial, Jay Pestercelli. How are you doing today, Jay? Good, Derek. Good. It's I know we're recording on a Friday. It's a sunny day in the summer. You know, mood is up. No doubt about it. Mood is up, market's up, and uh, some good. By the way, before we get into our contents, we're going to talk about is this or isn't a recession? Somebody's wrong, somebody's right, Fed or market. Uh, I'm going to debate about stagflation. We're going to do earnings and how the market discounts everything. Who's right, the market or everybody else? But I, I got to tell you, I know you've been watching a show and and it's under the radar because it's not like, I don't think people have seen a lot of ads for it and stuff, but it's the, sh- uh, what's it called? The Bear. It's called The FX Bear. And Hulu. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. Really good, Jay. Yeah, I, I, you know, I stumbled upon it, and you stumbled upon it independently. I know you and I usually share, you know, good shows with each other, but we both watched it, and uh, you know, really happy. I heard it's been re-upped for the next season too, so just the first season's out. And uh, if you haven't watched it, it's uh, you know a show about kind of what goes on in a in a sandwich shop kitchen. And uh, you know, as a guy that you know before working on Wall Street, worked in a restaurant, and my family owned a restaurant for gazillion years. I found it really, really fun to watch and accurate and all the things that can go wrong during the day. It's just really entertaining show. Actors uh, are very good in the show. And what I like about it too, so I watched it on Hulu. And even though Hulu runs a commercial, I think the beginning, which means I don't have the upgraded, you know, commercial free, but they're really only like, I don't know, 25, 27 minute episodes. So you can blow through. Yeah, they're quick. Yeah, really quick, right? Yeah, but my whole family watched it, right? Uh, we all watched it together, and uh, it was easy, right? It didn't. The teenager kept his attention, you know, kept his attention span just fine. So it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's they go quick. It's great. Yeah, so that's that's a, a, a strong recommendation, I think, from both of us. Uh, we uh, we'll, we'll pound the table, as we used to say. Um, I don't know. Does anybody even know what pounding the table means anymore? I mean. I, I, these days it's, you know, when, you know, when I wake up and I watch that the market does something completely opposite from what I expected, I may, you know, pound the table, but that's about it. But yeah, no, it was the analyst, right? So the analyst would be like, the stock is a strong buy and they're, you know, slapping down on the table, pounding the table. Fist fist pounding the the desk. Yeah. Yeah. Fist on the desk. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. I think, I think I've seen Kramer say that as well. I think he said, you know, somebody's pounding the table on that. By the way, Kramer is a, Apparently a fan of uh, the bear as well. He's been calling people chef, which that will make sense if you watch it. Yeah, that is one of the things about, uh, you know, when you work in a kitchen, you know, it's a, it's a term of respect. You you'd call everybody chef because you're doing the work. How you doing, chef? Okay, chef. Behind you, chef. It's the, it's, and that's kind of a real thing. If you ever worked in a kitchen, that's, uh, you do that. All right. Well, uh, as we switch here, by the way, uh, the topics for the show, I get emails. I like getting emails. Derek.more at ZegaFinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Zega. Z is in Zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple. Financial is up to you to spell correctly. Uh, Jay, one of the questions I got is, okay, wait a second. I thought negative two quarters in a row of, uh, or two quarters in a row with negative GDP was a recession. But now, and uh, I think a couple people said, well, the White House is saying it's not a recession. Other people are saying it's not a recession. Um, I, I can give you the technical definition, and I'll give you the, you know, the real things that people look at. 
Um, but I, I want to point something out to the audience. 2001 was a recession. And we did have two negative GDP quarters. They were not consecutively. 1956, 2011 had two non-consecutive uh, negative quarters, but were not considered recessions. Uh, Jay, I don't know if you want to start with this, but I'll just throw it out. Negative two quarters of negative. It's not, it's not a recession. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's become it, it, like, like everything these days. It's become, you know, politicized. And are we in a recession? We're not in a recession. I, I mean, to me, it's, you know, I always boil it down to two things, but it's a behavior thing right now. Like, are, are companies acting as if we're going to be in a recession? And are consumers acting as if we are in a recession? Meaning, usually that indicates spending less or concern about their jobs, uh, you know, tightening up the purse strings, that type of stuff. And I think there's probably a little bit of that going on just from, uh, you know, just even at Zega internally. You know, there's some things we said, ah, let's hold off on that spend for a quarter or two, right? Uh, Derek keeps asking me for his own Bloomberg machine. So, you know, Derek, we're in a recession. You can't have a Bloomberg machine yet. Yeah. Uh, but besides that, uh, be so I would, you know, for the Bloomberg. all joking aside, all joking aside on that, you know, I almost feel like who who cares? Like why why do we why do we have to put a label on it? I get back to I mean I understand you want to you know have an idea of what the economy is doing, but the stock market doesn't always equal the economy, right? The economy usually lags in my opinion the stock market. The stock market historically is a leading indicator and you know uh if if the things that matter like corporate earnings and interest rates uh, are showing a recession, then great. The market will act as if spending is going to slow down and corporate earnings will drop. But, you know, to me, I always bring it back to those two things. I know I'm, uh, I'm pounding the table, chef, on this one. Look at that. I just used two references in one sentence. Um, on this, that it doesn't matter what, to me, it doesn't matter what you want to label it. It matters as to people's behavior and what does it do for corporate earnings and what does it do for interest rates? Yeah, to me, I, I agree. I mean, and I always bring it back to an, to an individual. Let's take, you know, uh, somebody living in random state USA and says, what's, what's really, what matters to them? One of the biggest things for them is, do they have a job? Are they employed? And what is the, the probability of them being employed going forward? Okay, that's, that's really crucial for somebody. The second is, uh, after inflation, do I have more or less buying power with my money? Um, they call that, and in economic speak, real personal income less transfers. By the way, that's one of the two biggest things the National Bureau of Economic Research, or NBER, uses when they determine what a recession is. So that's the official arbiter of recessions. And the other thing with them is, you know, in past recessions, you look on charts and you have a nice little shaded area. You're like, oh, yeah, that's the start of the recession. That's the end of the recession. Sometimes they'll tell you you were in a recession seven months later. And sometimes they'll tell you five or seven months later that you're out of a recession. So to me, bringing it back to the individual, do you have a job? What's your buying power? And these are the, the two biggest things. Because if we don't have... Yeah, I almost... We would you agree the recession moniker is a is a lagging indicator, right? I mean, based on what you just said. Yeah, I think so. I mean, COVID was probably the only time 
when you looked in a tunnel and saw a light and said, that is absolutely a train coming. It was purely obvious because when you shut down the economy, all right, you're going to have a recession. But right now, I don't think it's, I don't think it's clear. I don't think now, Jay, I'm sure you would agree too, that if companies start acting on this, the self-fulfilling prophecy, and they start doing layoffs, they start cutting back, they start capital expenditures, uh, you know, declines, that could be, you know, it could be a consequence of this, right? I mean, we don't know yet, but right now, no. Yeah, the market can talk itself into a recession. Yeah, I mean, it almost did it in Q4 of 2018, right? Same thing. We didn't have one, but the market, you know, that 20% sell-off or 19.9% sell-off, you know, everybody was fearful that we'd talk ourselves into a recession, and there was none. The other thing I think that, you know, 2001, you and I both remember that, we did not have two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. It was absolutely crystal clear that the economy was... I was going to use another word, but we don't want to get the the, the explicit label on the podcast. Um, the, the, <laughs> the economy was going down the toilet, right? It was clear to everybody that was a recession, right? The bubble popped, right? In the, in the right, it was uh, there was a huge bubble, huge run up. Okay, it made sense. And the popping of the bubble left over some decent earnings for uh, for companies, right? The one the survivors of the dot com bomb. Kept you know kept things afloat, but you're right. It was it was a major reversal of 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 the economy, no doubt about it. So tie a bow on this before I move on to uh, uh, to something else. The two main things are real personal income, less transfers. That's just a fancy way for saying it's the income that you get from being employed, not from you know a stimulus check from the government or unemployment checks or any government benefits, and non-farm payroll employment. So these are the two major ones. There's one, two, three, four, five. So there's like six other things. I won't read them off. I did a podcast on this a few weeks ago where I actually detailed all these. But as far as, you know, the other thing is politicians will say and do things that may or may not be true. And obviously. What? Yeah, I know it's shocking. Are you so kidding I should, me? To, <laughs> Whoa. I, be careful with what you say here. Scathing accusations. I know. There. I'm not really going out on a limb. <laughs> So I think when they when they came when the White House or or their uh, their spokesperson uh, I forget the gentleman's name came out and said yeah we're we're not in a in a recession uh, people were skeptical about that because you know six seven months ago they said we peaked inflation and all that stuff so but none of that stuff matters remember only think about random person random city random town in the U S and what's what's crucial to them and that really tells you beyond the noise, you know, anything. But I think, Jay, the other thing right now is we're hearing the stagflation word. And I, I look at this a little bit different than some other people, but stagflation uh, got its name in, from the 70s. And in the 70s, so there's a Keynesian economist and, and Keynes or Keynesian economist, that's a branch of economic people, for lack of a better term. There's the Chicago School, there's the Austrian Economic School, and they just have different views on the economy. And the conundrum that came up from the 70s and where it got its name, it was thought of as it doesn't make any sense that you could have uh, rising inflation with lower uh, economic growth. Because in, in the classic Keynesian thing, it's like, oh, if there's prices go up, demand goes down. Um, and you fix prices, 
And so they call this stagflation. And the consequence of stagflation is typically prices going up. So if you, if you, I'm not going to do the the whole critique of the uh, or the the explanation of you know the supply to the sky. You draw the one line. You draw a crossing line. Demand to the dirt, and you have equilibrium where supply meets demand. And so the idea is, if uh, if prices go up, or if supply, you know, anyway, I don't want to get into that. But that's where it comes from, and the the Keynesian economist really, I think they always view things through the demand lens, that it's always a demand problem. And I think that's what you saw this time and why stagflation-ish or stagflation is what we have right now, because it was a supply shock. It was a problem with supply and it was also increasing demand with stimulus checks at the very moment supply was sort of impaired. So I think that's the other debate. And I think it's it's a lot more nuanced, Jay. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Yeah, well, I mean, you 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 have your professor hat on for a moment here, Derek, and and I appreciate that. But I, you know, when I when I hear the term from a layman's perspective, I think stag means stagnant, and inflation means inflation, right? So no growth with higher inflation, right? Um, there we have discussed internally. At Zega about you know there's a, a labor component to that right no no you know people aren't earning more because you know less people are working but that's the way I think about it and I can appreciate the you know official definition uh, or the Keynesian definition of it but you know when when I think we're going to talk about this in a little bit uh, clearly inflation is up right that no argument on that but are we stagnant are, are we really are we are we flat on growth? Right. Uh, I don't know. I don't I don't see that. And I think we'll get to that a little later uh, uh, in the discussion. But, uh, you know, again, I, I go back to the doesn't matter to throw a term on the status of the economy when we're trying to make investment decisions over the next one, three, five years. And I'm not I'm not sure it does. I really don't think it's it's all that relevant, especially with what you just said that, you know, I don't think people feel uh, a lot of pressure in the in, in their pocketbooks right now. Yeah, I think I think the challenge for a stagflationary environment is really what can the Fed do? It's the worst outcome, or it's the worst current situation for the Fed to deal with, because rising interest, raising interest rates at the same time you have slowing growth, it's problematic. Because normally you ra- you rise interest rates and it's going to slow growth because it's supposed to stop demand, right? But Right, right. So right. they're in a little. It is a. It, I agree. I, it, it is a conundrum for the Fed, right? I mean, only Volcker had to deal with it before, I hear. But yeah, you know, and everybody remembers him for what he did. No, that's right. So I will say too that uh, when we look at GDP, and here's I'm going to call a, it's not a party foul; it's some sort of foul. I'll I'll think of it. Where GDP comes out and it's negative, and then people start to explain. Oh, it's it's okay because it's only negative because of this. Oh, that's only a one-time thing. So GDP, I mean, really what the problem was in Q2 is everybody probably overordered stuff. You know, just keep ordering. We'll see which which package arrives first for our inventory. And I think you saw it with Walmart. Um, but residential, um, the, the two culprits really were change in private inventory. So GDP was minus 0.9%. Change in private inventories was minus two point oh one percent. So that that obviously was a big thing. That means 
companies are not, you know, ordering as much stuff. And it was the same thing in Q1 as well. And then you have residential investment. Yeah, both of those reasons, right? I guess to remind everybody, right? This technically, from a GDP perspective, we've had two, you know, negative quarters consecutively. That's right. right. We don't have to go back to the recession conversation, but both times the culprit has been inventories, right? And as you just pointed out in the equation, um, you know, if you've if you've overordered and you haven't sold enough, that hurts your uh, the GDP calculation. What is a little bit fascinating is in Q1, net exports were down 3.2%. Um, this time, and I think it's probably, I'm guessing, and I'm, I think I'm pretty good at guessing this stuff, because we're shipping liquefied natural gas and some other stuff to Europe. This is just my my uh, opining in, in real time. Net exports were positive 1.43%. So I don't want to drag us down into a minutia of the, the GDP, but... I am not a fan of them saying, well, if you look at GDP, X exports. Okay, now let's leave exports in, but let's take out private inventories. It is what it is. But yeah, on stagflation. There's a reason all those things are included in the number, right? I mean, that, that's right. It, like you said, I agree. It is It is what it is. You got to You keep it all in if you want consistent definitions. And I guess the, the I think you, you went here is because I was, you know, starting to hint that, you know, maybe we don't have stagnant growth. I'm guessing you went there because of the GDP decline, Correct. right? Like, hey, if you use GDP as your measurement of growth, we have negative growth. The economy's had negative growth, right? I think that's your point. No, that's exactly right. And by the way, I would say, is there that much of a difference between minus 0.9% uh, and plus 0.9%? I don't know. I mean, that's a little change in exports. That's uh, So I, I think we want to move on from this, but... I, I think we do have slowing growth. I think that's that's clear. But um, anyway, it's, it's back to the job thing. Here, here's what I want to get to next, though. Let's move on from this. Uh, somebody's right, somebody's wrong, the Fed or the market. And there is a disconnect between, I think, what Powell said and what the market thinks he said. And uh, let, me, let me kind of frame this this way. The Fed comes out with their statement of economic projections. They didn't do a, a refresh at this meeting, but the last one was the June meeting. And they basically say, hey, all committee members, what do you guys think the, uh, the Fed funds rate's going to be in you know December of this year, at the end of the year, at the end of next year, at the end of the 24? Um, okay, great, we have that. What do you expect PCE? That's, uh, that's their preferred measure of inflation. Okay. So I was looking at a, uh, a chart I found, and basically the Fed funds futures, which tell us the implied future Fed funds rate, that they are much lower. As per the market. Basically the market saying. Yeah, as per, like. Yeah. Right, right. Like the market saying, okay. That's a, that's a real capital traded pricing, right? That's real money taking a position, right? It's not a, a theoretical projection like what the FOMC members are doing this is what the market is saying yeah. right is that the, the difference here and the, and to and basically the market has their expectation through actual trading that the fed's funds rate will be much less than what the fed has said in their economic pro, uh, projections we know that post you know they rose they raised 75 basis points and interest rates dropped so this is a, to use Greenspan's term, a little bit of a conundrum. Somebody's wrong on this and somebody's right. And if the, if the market's wrong, 
the Fed is going to continue to raise rates. They're going to continue to stay on their path. And in fact, because PCE is running hotter than their initial projections, you can make the argument, I'll take this side for a second, that Fed funds futures projections are too low and the market has it wrong. Jay, on the other side, though, the market sort of discounts stuff, right? They do. They do, right? The markets, you know, it's, it's, it is a great question, which is right, the Fed projection or the market, and they are different, uh, different to the tune of like when you look at, say, 2023, you know, the market has uh, Fed funds at somewhere around 2.75, but the FOMC members are, you know, the median is 3.75. So it's a 100 basis point difference and not a single. I'll say vote, not a single uh, opinion from the FOMC is at or below the 2.75 where the market is. Like the lowest one there looks like a 2.8 maybe, right, or 2.9. And it's, uh, you know, it's, re- it's, a vast, it's a vast difference, the, 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 uh, the divergence between the projection of the Fed and what the market is planning on. Um, it's, it's, if, if the market is right – Right. Then, you know, the Fed will. So what is I guess I'm going to go to what this all means. If the market's right, it means that the Fed is, you know, done raising rates right, at this point. Right. Rates drop. The Fed has to lower rates. You could we can interpret what that means, but let's just stick with that point that the Fed's going to lower rates. But if the Fed's right, they're going to continue to raise rates. And so, you know, it's, it's very it's very different that uh, it's very interesting to me that who, who do you believe? Right. Do you believe what's said? From the Fed, or do you believe what's traded by the market? Hard to know. I mean, I they've done seventy five bips. Typically, lean towards the market. They've done seventy five bips two meetings in a row. That's big. It is big. And by the way, the market thought that well before the Fed did it. That's right. That's right. And for a while, it was a hundred basis points, and the futures, the Fed funds futures, actually uh, backed away from that probability and came back to seventy five basis points. Jay, let me ask you a question though. So I use the inflation nowcast from the Cleveland Fed. Nowcasts, of course, are only looking at every bit of data that comes in. Uh, but it's been pretty good over the past several months. Uh, their forecast for the July CPI is 8.82. That will be released, I think, around August 10th, August 11th, somewhere in there, August 13th. Uh, their PCE for July is forecasted at 6.65. PCE is going up. If they do get an 8.82 CPI, that would be down from the 9.1. But if those numbers bear out and we get those numbers next month, is the market like, yeah, no, we're good. We're good. Interest rates can stay where they are or back go down. Like, I have a hard time believing that. But what do you think? Um, I think the market is really anxious to predict peak inflation, right? It misstepped on the May number and got it completely wrong and thought, you know, the market had peaked out in, you know, April and then May came out and the market was like, whoa, inflation's higher again. Right. So I think the market is really looking for a sign of peak inflation uh, before it really makes a commitment. And, you know, a flat to slightly down CPI number in July versus uh, June might give the market that sense that we've topped out. Um, but I believe that the Fed is probably going to look for a trend before they change their mind. So again, I think the market will jump the gun, right or wrong, definitely was wrong in April, 
uh, uh, you know, the way that the market interpreted peak inflation. So they got the market got that wrong uh, and then reacted dramatically after that uh, main number came out. So, I, you know, if you ask me what the market's going to do, I think it's going to jump the gun. I think it looks as an 8.8 of going, look, they're going to say things like, the law of, you know, you're tracking year-over-year changes because inflation ran up so much. It's so hard to increase another 9% on top of, you know, record high that we saw a year ago. It, obviously, it did get higher, but at the time it was high. So I think the market will probably jump the gun and uh, and react bullishly. I think uh, the, and the same thing will happen with rates where the market will say, look, Fed's done its job. They're done raising rates. And I think, by the way, that's priced in in what we just discussed about the 2023 projection. So that that's, I think, if we come in flat on those numbers. And I know PEC up isn't really the interpretation, but the first number comes out. Uh, what, it's the, it's next week, right? It's the first week or second week of, uh, I don't remember the date of July CPI number. I know it's on our on our list of uh, important dates to watch. I think it's around August 10th. I should have looked it up, but it's usually the, yeah, yeah it's, around yeah. there, around there. Yeah. Somewhere around the 10th day. Uh, so I think, you know, that you asked what I think. I think the market will jump the gun if they see a number like that. By the way, on the, on the forecast number, uh, you, you're right that those guys have been definitely accurate on direction. I think their magnitude has, has been off from time to time. Of course, it's so hard to nail those things. But I think directionally, the, that you know, the the now forecast has been pretty pretty accurate in direction. So I would agree with you on that. Just maybe not the magnitude of the number. Well, here's this. Uh, I'm going to let you know who's right and who's wrong six months from now, because that's that's okay. what we'll know. Yeah, okay? I think I, <laughs> <laughs> I, so far I say market has been right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So far I've said that. Look, I I don't. Gosh, you know, I I think it's a little healthier if we could stabilize with higher rates. I'm kind of rooting for the, you know, not that I want rates to go higher because of everything that that implies, but I, you know, I'd prefer to have a, a, a Fed funds rate at three and a half versus two and a half, right? It just it just makes for a more even keeled investing environment for everybody, whether you're conservative or aggressive, right? If you really want to take it back to what we're trying to do day in day out, which is helping people invest to meet their financial goals, right? Then you know, it. I think it's a healthier environment, right? Historically low rates and can inflate stocks. Jay, when they appoint me head of the Fed um, and I go on a time machine, and of course I should be the head of the Fed. I don't know why I'm not. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Maybe maybe you haven't asked yet. Maybe that's the thing. I just have to ask them. And by the way, uh, I don't have a PhD and Powell does not have a PhD. So normally that was one of the, the sort of dividing lines. Uh, so- I would, if I could go back, I don't think it's been healthy having 0% interest. And obviously, you know, there, I don't want to get into all that. But to me, like 2013, 2014, 2015, like, why didn't they just come out and say, hey, we're going to raise this year a quarter point, And then we're going to look in a year and just see what happens. Like, that would have been so smart to me. They could have done it. And instead, we had the Tabor trend. Do you remember how the market reacted in 2013 at just a hint of raising rates. Right, but they right? didn't message you. Right? They, they, there was no, hey, we're well, going to do a quarter point, and that's it. They could have done tw- you know, 0.125 from zero. Yeah, I mean, that Bernanke caused the taper tantrum, right? And uh, that was, uh, yeah, the market was like, don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, Jay, if you would have said, hey, we're going to do a quarter point a year, and if we don't think we can raise, we won't. You know, it's data dependent. 
it would have taken eight years to get back to 2% Fed funds. I don't know. All right, let's bring this to earnings, though, because earnings, you and I have been talking about this for a while. And here is where I think the commentators, the prognosticators, and everybody else has been overly bearish and not just looking at the numbers. And everyone's saying, oh, wait a second. Earnings are okay, but wait for that shoe to drop. So, Jay, I think uh, earnings so far, and according to, I'm looking at a Refinitiv S&P 500 IBS uh, earnings dashboard, 246 companies in the S&P have reported, 256, I think, are remaining. If I can read that right, it's around there. Uh, Jay, so far, earnings? Somehow you've got 502 companies in the S&P, but that's okay. We know it's somewhere around there. Half have reported, let's say. Well, isn't Alphabet A and B? Isn't that two companies? Yeah, yeah there's there's definitely two Googles in there. That is true. So yeah, I think it's 501. Yeah. It might be 502. Yeah, you're, I think you're right. So Jay, you and I have been consistent, said, so far, when everyone else has been bearish, we pointed out earnings are still going up. Uh, I'll give you. The, I'll set the stage here, and then I want to turn it over to you, Jay. S and P, and this is blended for Q two, looking at everybody who, who's reported, and then the estimates on the remaining ones. Seven point six percent has been the year over year uh, growth in the S and P. Revenue up twelve point one percent, and I think seventy six percent of companies that have reported have beat their estimates. So far, earnings are holding up. And you and I have always said, and, you, and you've been talking about this, as have I, uh, to different advisors and clients and on air, it really comes back to earnings. Earnings are what matter, right? Earnings, earnings, corporate earnings definitely matter, right? It's interest rates and earnings, interest rates and earnings, pat on the table, right? So yeah, and, and, I would, and it looks like from a historical perspective, when you talk about who's above, right, it's 70, would you say 76% Correct. of those companies have uh, beat estimates. That, that's normal, right? I mean, CEOs usually kind of sandbag a little bit, and and analysts, you know, you know, follow that too. It's easy. It's nobody wants to overestimate. But historically speaking, what sixty seven percent beat uh, uh, estimates, right. right? And so we are we're exceeding that by almost you know ten percent right now. So all of those lowering and reductions of of estimates. Turned out, you know, maybe that was too much of a reduction there. So, and and uh, the other data point that you said that I want to really highlight: earnings are up seven point six percent. Earnings are up seven point six percent. I mean, that's that's corporate growth, right? Companies are making more money now. Now, you did point out an interesting uh, another data point that revenue is up twelve, right? So, if revenue is up twelve, but earnings are only up seven point six, what's that mean? It means a little bit of margin compression and it means that their their co- it probably means that their costs are going up a little bit but they're still growing and so i think that you know to me that's 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 one of the most important things to pay attention to when you're trying to figure out is this a good market to be invested in or not should i be on the sidelines should i be in cash or should i be you know exposed to upside you know equity exposure right because of uh, you know whatever the environment is right so all the stagflation and all the uh, recession talk, you still have corporate earnings grow, growth. Yeah, that's right. And I hear people trying to to go against this, and they point out that year over year energy uh, earnings are up two hundred sixty four percent. Financials are the worst; they're down minus twenty two percent. And if you take out energy, 
then you actually have negative by a few percentage points year over year growth. I take issue with that because you can't cherry pick it. It's an index and they aggregate all of the companies. In fact, Jeremy Siegel, Professor Jeremy Siegel, who teaches uh, Wharton stocks for the long run, which by the way, I, I pre-ordered a copy. I think it's coming out in September. I'll put a link in the show notes. He's re reissuing an update on that book, which I like because he has all that data in there just for the data alone. It's worth it. But he makes the argument too. You know, he points out 2008, a lot of companies, you know, wrote down everything and they just, you know, I think the, I think they had negative earnings in, uh, in 2008, but you, they're, they're aggregated. It's a weighted index, but all the earnings are aggregated. So I, I do not take bits and pieces out. It is what it is. And yeah, Jay, it's growing. It's growing. And what that tells me, though, is they've been able to pass on some of the price increases to their end buyers. So that's good to me. And if earnings hold up. That's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, this to me is all really good news. And I think this week when we saw Amazon and Apple and Google and Microsoft, who had some misses in there, but gave some forward guidance and the market rallied. Jay, this brings me back to, I think, you know, there's really four different scenarios. But in the end, like the market a lot of times discounts everything that's out there. And to, I mean, we'll, we'll let you know in six months, but the market is saying, we think earnings are holding up. And we believe the growth story in corporate earnings. And by the way, March of 2009, things were not great, but the market bottomed. Like the market gets ahead of this stuff, Jay, right? Market, yeah, market. I always say the market, you know, leads the economy by six months, right? The markets, you know, similar to my comment about what's happening in the in the bond market, right? Like the market's going to jump the gun on this. You, they'd rather be early and right, um, even though sometimes they're early and wrong. Uh, I, I'm with you, right? The market is definitely liking this. I will, I will add though, you know, um, you know, when you think about Q2, right? What are the months? April, May, June that are included in Q. Two, um, we've said internally, it's really Q3 that's going to show if behavior has changed, right? Because the real fear, uh, you know, didn't quite hit the market, uh, I think, until the beginning of June. And so, you know, you only got one month of, you know, real recession talk, you know, serious recession considerations, you know, serious slowdown considerations in the, in the uh, uh, you know, in everybody's dialogue in June. So, you know, I do think you Q3 is going to be the, you know, the real stick in the mud if it comes up short, if we have a lot of misses there. But, you know, that's, we're three months away from that. I don't want to discount the good news that we're seeing today. It's good to see that the activities of, you know, the first half of the year didn't bring down earnings for, for you know, companies in general. I, there are some interesting misses, right? And I think it goes back to your, uh, you know, conversation about managing supply before when you look at, say, Walmart, right? You know, they haven't reported yet, but they pre-announced that things are not going to be great. You look at Intel, which reported, you know, a day ago from the time of recording this, uh, you know, Thursday, uh, you know, really missed on earnings. So it's it's becoming a little bit of a stock picker's market. But, you know, some of the big guys that you just mentioned, Amazon and Apple, heck, I think Apple said in their conference call, they see no signs of a slowdown. For Apple to say that to me, that was pretty impactful to hear Apple say that. Yeah. No, I agree. And by the way, our uh, one of our fellow, Mick, our fellow investment committee uh, member at Zega, 
point something out to us this morning that just blew my mind. So I'll bring it up. Intel has not gotten above their March of 2000 high in price. Obviously, they've been paying dividends since then. But that blew me away, Jay. I'm like, really? Yeah, Intel. Intel's getting its launch eaten by AMD and NVIDIA, in my opinion, right? To these days, they're they're they seem to be a fundamentally, you know, Intel's weaker to those two right now. Um, by the way, NVIDIA is in the top ten waiting. I think it just replaced Meta, formerly known as Facebook, in the top ten waiting in the NDX, I believe. Right. So there's definitely some, you know, you could say Google and Meta have similar models, ad models, but those two stock charts look definitely different. Again. Pick your stock, you know, pick fundamentals. If you don't, you know, we typically don't try to pick them, right? We say the index is a better deal and it kind of does the weighting for us automatically. But if you want to take a shot at those things, you can find some real dogs in there and you can find some flyers. Intel, by the way, was the sixth uh, highest weighted company in the NDX in March of 2000. I think, Jay, I looked this morning and it's somewhere around 47. Uh, yeah, Met- Meta, Facebook. By the way, I... It, I'm curious. There's a guy who owned the who was operating a company with the name Meta, doing like virtual reality at concerts. Uh, he's suing them now. I thought that was that was interesting. Those are always interesting to me. That seems like an easy payoff. Yeah, I guess the 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 lawyer was on CNBC. I mean, I know nothing about it. What from from what I saw on CNBC, but it sounds like the lawyers and they've been going back and forth and couldn't come up with something. The other thing, you're an Android phone person. I'm an Apple person, although I've had Androids in the past. I do wonder, like, Apple has the setting where you can basically say, I, I don't know how it works behind the scenes, but it doesn't allow Facebook to track you as much or some of the pixels on the websites. I don't know that much about it, but uh, I think they mentioned that in their earnings call. All right, Jay, let me just transition. If you think about when you watch Sesame Street and there were the four boxes, you know, upper left, upper right, bottom right, bottom left. And it was like one kid playing basketball and the other three playing football. Which of these is not like the others? That's not what I'm doing, but I want to think about the quadrants. And the reason why I bring this up, when we think about the two things right now, it's earnings per share and it's inflation. And I think you and I would agree, the worst case scenario is earnings per share Earnings go down, net income goes down for the companies, and inflation continues to go higher or stays high. I think I'll I'll leave it there. Um, the best case is earnings keep going up and inflation keeps going down. And, and I'll remind our audience, inflation going down doesn't mean we don't have inflation. It goes back to two. We still have inflation year over year, and the price increases that we've had don't necessarily come back. Um, so it, these are already embedded in. But Jay, when I, those are the two obvious scenarios. Um, and so far, though, I think we have earnings per share up and inflation up. And I think that's where we are, right? I mean, what do you think about the? I mean, I guess I didn't read all the... Yeah, if I'm, I'm thinking of your two by two there, right? Yeah. If uh, earnings per share are up, I think as we just talked about that a second ago, yeah, I think you could for now, uh, you know, not consider the current status of things to be earnings down. So if you've got EPS up and you've got inflation, you know, up to flat, that's, I, I feel that's pretty obvious as well. The inflation down, right. Or decreasing of an increase, right. Like a slower increase in inflation. I don't think that's the case yet either. We talked about the market, maybe jumping ahead on that, but for now with EPS higher and inflation 
inflated. Yeah, I mean, that's clearly the situation we're in, which so it's not the best situation. It's not the worst situation on that two by two that you're talking about. Um, so I guess the question is that where you were going is, is the market fairly priced for a scenario where, uh, where inflation is high and earnings per share is increasing, right? I guess maybe that's the, what you're throwing out. I think you're probably proposing that, yeah, it's probably about right where we are right now. I think so. I mean, we always go back to, we talked about when the market goes up or down, you could have PE ratios or forward PE ratios going higher and earnings staying the same or going down. You could have earnings growing and the multiple compressing. And that's exactly what we've seen over the last year. In fact, over the last two years, people forget last year, you know, the market was up, but most of that uh, was not due to, you know, multiples rising. Give you a thing that, you know, so far, this is JP Morgan's guide to the market, Jay, minus 14% ish, 14.6% S&P price return. Earnings were up. This is their number up 5.9% year to date. Multiple growth was down twenty and a half percent. The year before, multiples was was down like eight percent, I think. So and look, that's so that's kind of consistent what we talked about a minute ago. That you know revenue may be increasing, but uh, earnings aren't increasing as fast, right? You got some margin compression there, and you have a multiple compression there, right? These are these are definitely related. And once again, I would say plus you know market is getting that one right. Yeah, it's interesting on J.P. Morgan's thing too. Um, their EPS, uh, so it's tough to to get the exact number. They they have a couple of bars, but 2022, their consensus analyst estimates for this year are below 225. They're below the street. Um, next year is, um, I don't know, maybe 235 to 236, 240. I can't get a number exactly. I don't know. I mean, I think in some regards. Are, are projections by some of these banks too bearish? I mean, I think the thought was earnings have to come down, but we just talked about it. they haven't yet. And this is all multiple. Compression. They haven't. So, yeah, I agree, Jay. I, yeah. I think you make the, you can make the argument that, yeah, well, I mean, we're fairly priced and earnings don't have to go up for the market to go up. The market's multiple could just increase. And, you know, it'd be nice if earnings keep going up in the multiple re-rates, but I mean, what are we at right now on a forward PE basis? I think we're only right around 17. So we're right around 25-year average. So that's not crazy at all. Yeah, I mean, it's not expensive, right? It's, uh, uh, you know, fu- from a fundamental perspective, it's not – So I wouldn't – I don't think anybody would consider it expensive. Um, so let's, let's, let's tie let's, – let's ask – I'm going to throw a curveball at you a little bit here. So let's say the market's right and rates go down, right? We're not sure why the market's projecting that. I think common knowledge would say, or conventional knowledge would say, oh, the market's working in you know, a recession and the Fed has to cut rates. But, uh, right, I mean, that's kind of conventional wisdom of what people think. But if that really happens, lower rates are stimulative and good for the market. And so like, well, which, which one of these things is actually going to happen, right? Can we have the Fed cutting rates into an environment where earnings are on the rise uh, and you've got multiple expansion. And then you've just, you know, I've always, I've always believed that as rates go down, markets, you know, stocks go up, right? That's been kind of a, uh, uh, you know, the whole 
no other, you know, there is no alternative to invest, right? If we go back to two, two and a half percent, is that really worth it if you're under inflation? No, you've got to invest in stocks. So, you know, I don't know, like if, if we see the, so here's my, let me clarify the question to you. So now that I've kind of laid out the, 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 broader, the broader spectrum. So if we see rates drop that the, that the market is projecting, how do you think that impacts this, you know, forward, guy, forward uh, P ratio? And how do you think that, you know, uh, impacts where, you know, our, your little quadrant, not little quadrant, I wasn't diminishing that, but your two by two build. How do you feel that that, you know, impacts what the market will project stocks to do? Yeah. And I'll just say, first off, um, uh, you and I don't make predictions. This is why on an investment standpoint, a strategy standpoint, you know, we, we invest and we hedge because we don't try and pick tops and bottoms. We don't try and pick direction. But since you asked me the question, yeah, I mean, I think if the Fed funds futures curve is correct, what the market likes is a little more certainty. And I think if the market knows that it's not going to get any worse, i.e., rates are not going to go up this much, you know, beyond this point. I think the market t- takes that as bullish, and if corporate earnings remain up, I think PEs expand. I think they 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 expand from here. Market was pretty beat up. I mean, a lot of these tech names are off thirty percent, forty percent from their highs. So yeah, to answer your question, when we have certainty, I mean, I look at so I always go back to nineteen ninety four, Jay. 1994 was the last time, and I, I was in the markets during this year, Fed raised 300 basis points or higher. And the market was flat, and earnings went up 30% in 1994. If this year were 85 to 9.5% up, okay, you have to have a discount then. But it was the next year in 95, the market did really well. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's where I kind of sit. And by the way, I know um, we haven't even talked about the midterm elections. Markets tend to rally after midterm elections. I don't know what happens. I'll tell you in a year from now. That's where I, I see things, Jay. Okay. Well, listen, I think that's that's the conundrum everybody's dealing with, right? Is are these lower rates projecting, you know, bad markets, bad economy, or are they projecting that the Fed has done their job? I think if it's the latter, where the Fed goes, okay, we've done enough, we see the turn in inflation. I think stocks are going to be able to rally from there, right? The old adage of don't fight the Fed is absolutely true this year. So, you know, getting long, you know, the market in the middle of a, an aggressive hawkish Fed can cause a little turmoil. It's a lot of the reasons we've seen the, the, the returns that we've seen so far this year. But if they stop, I think the fundamentals are there for equities to, uh, to have a nice rebound. I'm not saying back to all-time highs by the end of this year. Um, that would be kind of unprecedented to recover the full drawdown of seven months within five months. Uh, that's I don't recall any example of that happening when we look at previous bear markets. But could I say in you know two years, 2023? Yeah. I mean, I think that it sets up nicely for a reset and you'll start to see investment dollars coming in. And, uh, and I think you'll see people willing to take more risks on stocks because fundamentally they're, they're, they're strong. They haven't showed the weakness yet. You see corporate earnings drop, right? I think EPS drops. Now you've moved to the bottom row in your quadrant, and uh, you know, not not the not the most preferred scenario, right? Now you can technically have the worst case, which is dropping EPS and flat to higher inflation, which that's the one everybody wants to avoid. And I think that would cause some damage to the market if that did come through. But right now, that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, I mean, what the market's betting on is we're not going to be the late 70s where it went on for multiple years that is going to fix itself in 2023. 
And yeah, I mean, I, I think they, these are all, and by the way, everyone said we're too high on forward P's. We're too high. They got their wish. You're 60 and a half to 17 right now on a P on a forward PE ratio. So congratulations market. You did it. <laughs> you got back to average. Now what? Yeah. Now what? Exactly. <laughs> now what? Yeah. yeah. Now what do you want to do? Uh, Tom Lee, by the way, um, I'll mention this very quick. Tom Lee has been bullish. Tom Lee's been pretty good on the market. So he appears on CNBC. He runs, uh, I think his firm just does analytics or, um, you know, he sells research to, uh, to institutions. I mean, he's predicting 4,800 by year end, which is very bullish. And he's always been pretty bullish. But, you know, I mean, the consensus right now, I think, is, is bearish. And I always like when the consensus is bearish to be a contrarian sometimes and say, maybe everyone's not going to be right. You know, everyone is normally not right. And the most obvious things that, that everyone thinks is going to happen doesn't happen. So I don't know. But I, I, I don't want to discount this, this midterm election thing. And maybe we'll, uh, I'll spend some more time on that in another episode. But that's a real thing. When, when you have one party in power across the board in the first midterm election, you get somebody else, one of you know, the House flips or the Senate flips. It means that they can't spend another trillion dollars on some program that's inflationary. And I think the market might look at that as as bullish, Jay. So that's that's my thoughts there. Yeah, the the market likes a government that can't get anything done, right? Because it means less change and more predictability. That's right. It's perfect. Don't do anything. Split governments normally okay for markets. So, all right, Jay. Let's uh, let's leave it there. We gave our a recommendation uh, for the bear uh, on my list too. Is is it black? Blackbird or Blackbeard on Apple Plus TV? That's on my list. I haven't watched it yet, though. I haven't got to that one either. I have uh, Dark Phone is on my list to get through this weekend. Dark Phone? What's that? I don't know. Some sort of a little bit of a thriller horror movie. Some people have seen it. It's, it's, I think that's the name of it. Black Phone? Dark Phone? Look, I can't even get the name right. <laughs> my son will make fun of me for that one. All right, Google so there you go. some random sure. color of a, and phone, and maybe you'll find it. <laughs> I think it's Black Phone, actually. <laughs> really? Yeah. The producer, yeah, you know, I do. I think it's not like the producer or the director yeah, is listening to this, but you know, like, come on, really? You, you, you don't even know what you're going to watch? All right. Well, <laughs> it's the way my weekend goes. We'll keep an eye on that. All right, Derek. All right, Jay. Thanks again uh, for everyone else. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon next week. See you, Jay.